come to the prom? Yeah, I'm going with Holly. Wow, you look wicked. Let me get the door, my lady. Oh. Ah. Pretty as a picture. Will you go to the dance with me? Sorry, Loma. I'm going with Holly. Guess who asked me to the dance? Hey. message. Brent's done this before. He's always turned up. song we're gonna dance to and there's only one way to find out if it's you boys shouldn't it girls i'm going to stab holly in the heart just like you did to me Hey everybody, this is Brandon Ford and welcome to the Blind Rage Podcast. This week is a very special episode. I am doing The Loved Ones and I also have a very special guest who I flew all the way in from Adelaide, Australia, just to do this commentary with me. And after it's over, he's flying all the way back, the 22 hours. And... We have Tony, a.k.a. The Thunder from Down Under. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, say hi. G'day, this is Tony. Lovely to be here with you today. Very, very happy to have you, (laughs) especially since this this movie has some significance um, to you. But we'll get into that in a bit. Yes. So I'm just calling you Tony because I don't know how you would prefer to be known because i know you're incognito over there (laughs) well and my last name is quite hard to pronounce being uh my croatian background it's uh tony nesrithinhosha so tony is just fine okay so you'll just be tony or thunder from down under (laughs) and um, oh that's good as well (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So it's quite it's quite cold 
in Adelaide? Are you keeping it warm? Yeah, it's, um, oh, I don't know how to describe it in Fahrenheit. It's um, 17 degrees Celsius here today, so it's a bit chilly, but not not too bad. No, well, that's good. And you are a, because we met in the Facebook uh, group, so you are a longtime fan of the genre. Yes, oh, absolutely. I uh, uh, Like I keep telling people, I've got two older sisters who really raised me and they were big horror fans. So um, I was basically introduced to Nightmare on Elm Street at the age of five and uh, <laughs> carried on from there. I uh, um, grew up washing it through uh, hands over my eyes and um, decided in my teens to rewatch it to sort of get over that fear and really got into enjoying it. So. Yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street seems to be the gateway drug for a lot of people. It, it, yes, definitely. It's the heroine of horror. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what, other, um, what other ones did you get into after? Well, it really, uh, that one specifically opened me up to Wes Craven's older movies. And um, for the longest of time, I was a fan oh. of um, The Hills Have Eyes. And um, yeah, <laughs> later got into um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was really one of my favorites, and uh, one that uh, will go down in history. Um, and I'm, I'm enjoying the recent ones, the um, even the more subtler ones that are coming out more recently. Like uh, I watched The Witch last night, which I enjoyed. So I'm keeping up with the uh, the old ones, but also trying to stay with the new ones as well. So you have a pretty expansive knowledge then. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Hmm. What how how is the the horror scene in Australia? How do you think? Uh well, um definitely after Wolf Creek came along, it really um ballooned the uh the industry. Before that, we had like a small one called Cut which came out with uh Kylie Minogue as a cameo. Uh, but since then, mm-hmm. they've sort of um, redone some of the um, the old 80s and 70s exploitation horrors that we had. But, um, yeah, I think we're finding our feet with the horror genre internationally. So that makes me happy about it. Are you familiar with a movie called Allison's Birthday? No, I don't think I have seen that one. What's that one about? That that is an Australian horror movie from 1979. Yeah, and it starts out with a séance with these teenage girls, and um, one of the participants, I believe, gets possessed, and she warns Allison of a evil presence that is looming over her and will be coming for her on her, I think it's her 16th birthday or her 18th birthday. Yeah. Um, but it's more of a thriller. And it's not a very no, I'll have well to give that one a look-see. Um, it sounds good. <laughs> I believe it's on YouTube. Um. But yeah, it's uh, it's not very well known. I don't even think it's on DVD here. Yeah, but I enjoy it. 
it, it, it sounds like a better Australian horror from the 70s. Some of the older ones were quite drug-influenced. So <laughs> there was one of them where um, someone was being stalked by an ice cream van. So <laughs> Oh, well, that actually sounds good. I'll have to look up the name. It was uh, in a documentary of... about exploitation. But... Oh. What next do you think kin. of Next of Kin? Yeah. Again, that's another one I haven't seen. Yeah. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're reminding me of all the ones that I'd like to watch. Mm. Yeah, that's a Haunted House one. Oh, is that sort of um, almost Shining-influenced? No, mm. I wouldn't there, say that. There was one, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it was sort of a shining influence where they blow it up at the end. <laughs> uh, it, it's very much a slow burn. You you really yeah. have to have a lot of patience with that one, I think. Yeah, but, um, we'll definitely give that one a look. On the, Check it out on YouTube. We don't, we don't have an excellent yeah. streaming service down under, so <laughs> there's a lot of fingers crossing for YouTube availability. What about Tubi? Are you able to get that? We do have Tubi, but um, even in saying that, I notice um, there are some movies available on Tubi, the international, and then I'll look it up in Australia and it's not available <laughs> There was one that I oh. saw uh, last night. I forget the name of it now, but yeah, um, looked quite interesting about a a boy who finds out his older brother is a serial killer, but not yet available in Australia. Ah, uh, oh, is that um, found? Yes, that's the one. Yes, I could. Uh, it's a, it's a single. Oh, it's terrible. It's a single word name. Oh, okay. So maybe I won't give it a go. It but. is so so bad. <laughs> you don't want to. You, you're not. You're not missing anything at all. Yeah. It's strictly amateur hour. The acting is painful, <laughs> and um, there's a movie within the movie. Because the brother is his thing is he yeah. decapitates people and he he uh, keeps the heads in a bowling bag and the brother stumbles upon the head <laughs> and what inspired it was a movie that they brother rented called Headless and I think you see clips of it on the TV because yeah. the little brother ends up watching it and they ended up making that into a feature. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't given that one a chance because Found was so, so bad. But it did get yeah. some accolades. I don't know why. But people <laughs> did like it. The, am- the amateur Razzies. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go i'm going to lapse into my usual spiel and then we're going to get started with the loved ones because i'm very excited to hear um your anecdotes and thoughts on the movie as i'm sure everybody else is being Mm -hmm. that you're an aussie and so i'd like to begin by encouraging all the listeners out there to check out my titles on amazon.com 
and the Amazon app by typing in Brandon Ford. You'll find my author page as well as a number of my titles, including my most recent titles. Uh, he wore a leather jacket, which was just released. And we have The Mystery of Kelly Christopher and Progressive Entrapment and a slew of others. I also have titles on Audible on audible.com and the Audible app. Just type in Brandon Ford. You'll find them easily. And if you don't already, please follow me on Instagram at writer Brandon Ford. You can also follow me on Twitter at Brandon Ford, as well as Letterboxd uh, at Brandon Ford. And Tony, you are on Letterboxd as well. Yes. Do you want to give your your uh, name, Well, I'm just getting started. To it's Tony the Bear. There's some oh, underscores no, if you want to give it a go. There. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll have to figure it out. Tony. Yeah, Tony underscore the underscore bear. I, yep. I believe that's that's how it, it works. So look up Tony. He just did his posted his uh, first review recently for Be Kind Rewind, a classic if ever there yes. was one. It was a wonderful um, film, and I, I'm disappointed in myself. It took so long for me to get to it, but hmm. <laughs> okay. All right, okay. so we are going to get started with the loved ones. As always, we're going to do a three count. So if you want to watch along, make sure you have your movie queued up. And because I'm going to start. We are going to start. Are you ready, Tony? Yes, I've got it on. On the We're button. Start <laughs> in three, two, one, play. Now, before we get into anything, there is something that I noticed when I was going over this movie. This is one of many films in the horror and suspense genre that begins with a car crash as a catalyst for the story. Yes. <laughs> and so what I did was I made a list. And this is not a very extensive list, but it is a list of movies that I was able to come up with off the top of my head and movies that I have in my personal collection that also begin with car crashes. So, first we have The Babadook. Mm-hmm. And we have Raw. We have Inside. The Descent. Brain Scan. Butcher, Baker, Nightmare Maker. Campfire Tales, The Toolbox Murders, the original, Hell High, even though that begins with a motorcycle accident, but I'm going to count it anyway, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is an extended sequence that leads to a car accident, but nevertheless, that, that scene is the one that propels the film, so I'm going to count that one, too. Uh, Unspeakable. 
Blown Away, which is an erotic thriller with the Corys. Misery. So that's quite a lot of movies that have um, car wrecks as the uh, car crash as the. the Well, uh, so. with the uh, going with the screenwriting 101, I think uh, a lot of the writers they like to start with a um, an incident to get things going, and I think um, in real world scenarios, the car accident would be the one that people are most likely affected by. Yeah, I would say it is. It is on the relatable or easily identifiable side, but I prefer it uh, if you try to be a little more original and not go by the screenwriting 101 yeah. guide and just do your own thing. So, so now... This was written and directed by Sean Byrne, who also did. Yep. Um, what was it? Uh, the Devil's uh, Candy. The Devil's Candy. Thank you. Yep. The Devil's Candy with um, Ethan Embry. That was an American production, and this one was shot in Adelaide. No, no. Uh, this is shot in Melbourne. Which is the next major oh. city over? Oh, and I thought I'd done my research. The lead actor is from Adelaide. Um, that's that's how I know the guy. <laughs> yes, so that that was a good segue. So yes, Tony is familiar with the lead Samuel, or no Xavier Samuel. Yes, because you guys went to school together. Yes, and they say you should never trust someone with two first names. <laughs> or is that just an urban legend? That must be an Australian thing. Yes, could be. Yeah, we uh, we both went but, to the same high uh, school together in the same year. And what are your memories of him? Um, <laughs> we we ran in different circles, but uh, he was the cheeky drama type, uh, but... Um, a few classes together and uh, a few assignments together, but um, definitely not friends. However, after after high school finished, I did um, give him a lift to a uni once and just because uh, he was waiting for the bus and, you know, when you know someone, you say hello. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I did see in his Wikipedia that he has quite a bit of theatre, under his belt, so yes. he he was in drama and, and did a lot of uh, stage productions in school. Yes, we we had an excellent um, theatre director at that school, who, uh, like, fortunately for us, he left um, as we were finishing year twelve. So uh, I felt quite lucky that I got to um, have him as my English teacher and um, Xavier as his drama teacher. Uh, but yeah, we watched some of the um, stage productions that they had at school, and it was it was always a standout. 
<laughs> in some of them. I, I do remember when uh, a few of the boys did get topless and it was a, a, a nice awakening. <laughs> oh, okay. And was Xavier one of them? Yes, he played a convict, I reckon. Oh. So what well, we've got, we've what got kind the whole of convict past. They do. <laughs> Um, the one that, the one that I remember was, it was just, a cause, uh, cause it was an all boys school. They would bring in girls from the next school over. Ah. And this one was, it was like a love story slash, um, look at early convict life in, um, in Australia. Hmm. So it wasn't, uh, they, they didn't do a lot of more well-known, um, productions they did original material um, well it was yeah it was original by way of um locally sourced uh i don't recall any say um like midsummer night dream or anything like that we would do that type of stuff in drama class but not as the production mm-hmm yeah, because it did say in his Wikipedia that he had quite a bit of uh, Shakespearean uh, training, I guess. Well, I, I think there is a fairly good university where they do teach drama, and I'm quite sure that's where he went, uh, I think Flinders University. And they've got a very good um, a drama school, and... Um, one of his first movies was a movie called 237, which was directed by another um, boy from my high school, which we talked oh. about the other day. Uh, it's, I, haven't, I haven't seen 13 Reasons Why, but it reminds me of the type of storyline that that was. Ah. Wow. So, what was your uh, what was your reaction to seeing him on screen after going to school with him for all those years? Well, I was uh, trepidatious, if that's the right word, about seeing some of his movies because sometimes when you know someone, you know how they behave, and um, I wasn't sure if I could get into the role that he was playing, but I certainly did it. I uh, completely forgot that I knew him while I was watching it. It's uh, a sign of a good actor where you, you can get lost in a yes. character like that. Yes, I would say so. Now, as for the loved ones, he is, what, about 26 here? And yeah, he's playing he's... a high school student. Um... No, well, what? <laughs> I should know this better. I feel that he might have been in his low 20s. Because if we're about the same age, um, this was made in 2009. So 12 years ago, that would be, yeah, 25, 24. Mm-hmm. What do you think of his girlfriend? I think she's a bit sleazy. Um, Well, (laughs) for the longest time, I actually thought that this was um, sort of set in a country town. And um, so looking at 
from that angle, I kind of felt that they had a good connection and it was less <laughs> sleazy and more just, um, uh, <laughs> how shall I say, is um, when I was born, I was born in a country town and we left when I was quite young. However, um, what I had read about the town I was born in is that a lot of girls her age were getting pregnant just for fun <laughs> like because there's nothing oh, better to God. do <laughs> well that's no good well and, and also it was i think it was around the time where the government was giving a grant for people who um had a full-term pregnancy and you got money to help raise the baby <laughs> not that it was entirely that motivated but oh, i mean wyala is a bit of a boring town if anyone's been there But um, one thing that kind of bothers me about this story is he's quite nice to Lola, don't you think? I do. And I, I was thinking about that as, um, as I was watching it the other day. But carry on. Yes. I mean, like, I would I think it would make a lot more sense for her to do what she does ultimately if he was nasty to her but he was very nice he was very polite he even apologized a few times even though he really didn't have anything mm. to apologize for um but i don't know um well i, 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 I guess lola kinda... doesn't like to be disappointed <laughs> Well, but I also see that as a, um, a, a a good part of the film is that it's not about her being a victim of... Because um, she's not an unattractive girl, for one thing. And she's just uh, what would come across as shy in high school. But it's to me, it sort of shows that she is someone where if she wants it, she'll take it regardless. It's um, I, I thought it was That's more a, fair point. a look at her psychosis than um, her rejection. Mm -hmm. I could see some echoes of, uh, I don't know if they were intentional or not. I would say the first one uh, being Jeffrey Dahmer, that had to have been on purpose because there is a scene when she drills a hole mm. in his head to prepare to put hot water. Uh, yes, but I that had to have been intentional. Um, yeah, but also with the bodies under uh, in that hole, it kind of had a, for, at least for me, a people under the stairs vibe. And oh yeah, and I was I was thinking also maybe John Wayne Gacy element to that. Not that they were dead, because but... <laughs> he used to keep a lot of bodies under. The house, I reckon. Yes, it was a crawl space. They, but they were buried, so yeah. that uh, I don't know. But also, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie uh, Motel Hell. Motel but, Hell. Um, the, yes. Yeah. Because uh, of the way the the. Um, the people who were buried up to their necks had, uh, I don't know exactly what 
I don't remember what he did to them, but he did something to their vocal cords so that they couldn't scream. Mm. And they just had this weird, raspy uh, wheeze. Um, but I think for the most part, though, um, making it so... The victims are in the in or the characters who are victims in these kinds of movies. Nine times out of ten, they're gagged in some way, but you almost never see it. See them um, make it make their captors impossible for them to speak the way yeah. Lola does. So, I thought that was an original concept. Yeah. But I frankly reckon that's that's one of the reasons why I quite like the movie is I'm not a huge fan of victims screaming for their... (laughs) of people screaming for their, like, uh, survival. But you love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre so much. Yeah, but in in saying that, how her... her dinner table scene... Phil was such a good hark back to the um, cows at the abattoir. It, it was almost an inhuman screaming for mm-hmm. survival, as opposed to the more remakes where they're begging the family for help. It's, it's People are always never past that point of, um, let me out of here. <laughs> There's all, they're, they're always at the bargaining point in the newer movies. It never gets to um, that level of desperation. Right. Uh, And I don't know if male victims have the same kind of effect when they scream in these kinds of movies. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, that I think makes this one unique is you don't really see male characters being abducted and held mm. against their will um, the way uh, Xavier's character uh, what is it, Brent? Yes. Yes, Brent. But um, yeah, I do I do see echoes of, of Chainsaw in this as, as well because of the, the family because there, there is a bit of an uh, incestuous, inbred type vibe you get from them, especially from the father. And isn't mm. stated at one point that she does have a sexual relationship with him. Well, there is one scene in the movie where uh, I believe it's when they're slow dancing and um, the zoom in is above... Mm-hmm you know, towards their heads. And I could almost feel like there's some under-the-camera action going on. Um, And there's like a real sexualization between Princess and Xavier and also um, just how Princess treats um, Lola, sorry, Princess, how she treats uh, her mother in front of the father. Yeah. And again, with the uh, Texas Chainsaw reference, I feel the whole dinner table scene had a lot of echoes of Chainsaw Massacre for me, specifically with the mother reminding me of the grandfather and also um, there's a presence of a hammer. 
Yes. Have you seen it? That's true. That's that's a good point. Oh. Yeah, so I think I definitely think uh, Sean took a lot of inspiration um, from other from other films, but they weren't yes. in so in your face that you could classify them as um, being a ripoff. Yeah, and I, I think being, that how he did it, if, if he did do it, is uh, it wasn't a direct. Say, for instance, um, the Texas Chainsaw, how I see the Texas Chainsaw reference, it, that's not the type of movie this is. However, if, if it was, then it would be a rip-off where um, it's utilising it yeah. in another way. Yeah. I I think it's, especially for filmmakers, uh, horror filmmakers uh, of of this decade especially um i i think it's impossible to say that they couldn't have been inspired by uh, chainsaw because i think that movie inspired so many people yeah uh to make so many films and um i think uh almost all of us grew up on it Well, I think, um, you know, they say to be a good writer, you need to be a good reader. And to be a good That's filmmaker, yeah. I think you need to watch good films. That's true. Yes, but also, I was ta- we, we talked about this with, uh, with James on another commentary, um, because uh, there are certain filmmakers... Um, like Eli Roth and like Rob Zombie, who claim to have a very vast knowledge of the genre, but they really don't make good films. So it could go one way or the other, I think. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. And I also leaning away from that, some of the best horror movies, in my opinion, have been directed by visiting directors, um, say, for instance, um, like I would even say, uh, like Steven Spielberg's isn't a horror director, but Jaws is considered way up there. And um, I'd say even Alfred Hitchcock didn't really do horror until Psycho, but that's one of the most respected movies out there. Jonathan Deem, even. Jonathan Demi. Yes. Um, but yeah, yes, it, that's interesting too because yeah, uh, because of Psycho, um, Alfred Hitchcock was known after the fact as being this master of suspense when he really didn't do very many before. Mm. And uh, then I think he rode that train, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Before that was like the. Uh, North by Northwest and Darlene Familia type of movies. Right. Right. But he did do um, he did do Suspense very well I think. Yes. And I think knowing Suspense makes you a better horror movie uh, director than knowing Gore. 
Yes. Yeah, because gore is easy. Yeah, and cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. That's true. That's where exactly what I was going to say. It's easy and it's cheap, but you really have to know how to set up camera angles and how mm. to write a good story and build suspense if you're going to make a decent horror or suspense film. And yes, exactly. I can go. I can go either way with gore. It's not something that I ever really sought. Um, I was a little squeamish when I was younger. And so I didn't really go for... During what transfer? A lot of the... Because my, my video store had a lot of the cannibal movies from the 70s. And a yep. lot of uh, extreme horror uh, Italian cinema. Um, and while I didn't embrace those at the time, I kind of wish that I did now, or I wish I had the ability to now, because I would like to to branch out further with, uh, especially with foreign cinema. Well, and the French are doing quite well now, and, and the Japanese, yeah, with the um, with the body horror. Yes, yeah. I have to say that Audition is one film that I'm really, really disappointed that I didn't get to see when my vision was better. Yeah, have that, you seen it? Uh, I feel that may be one that is not available in Australia. I could be wrong, but uh, yes, there is still some um, censorship issues that happens with getting movies down to Australia. <laughs> oh. So do you have... Um, can you think of any movies that were banned? Well, um, I really know. I really only know the ones that uh, were banned and brought eventually. Um so, um, for instance, um, oh, even the the original Last House on the Left was banned, and that only came about, I think, in the two thousands. And Salo, um, which is an Italian fascism movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, and I'm quite sure that the Serbian film is banned. I think that is actually banned here too. Oh, okay. Which says a lot. Um, I know that there was a company that did a limited edition. I can't think of the company. It's one of the smaller companies that have been um, doing like 4K restorations of uh, more obscure films or films that didn't have a very wide release and, uh, you know, giving them the, the star treatment, so to speak. But... They did, they were selling it via their website and they did have it up on Amazon, but it was taken down. Um, yeah. Within a couple of days. Um, was so it uh, Umbrella Entertainment? For certain. Um, it might have been. Well, they, been. they definitely um, do a lot of the. 
weird release DVDs. Like all of the Argentos have been released by um, Umbrella and some of the older 70s horror, like Maniac. Um, we have uh, Blue Underground um, did, uh, did Maniac here on Blu-ray. And they also did some Argento. They did uh, the Stendhal Syndrome and I believe Suspiria. Yes. Some some of his... I think they did Phenomena as well. Yes. Now, I'll just quickly say, before, while I get the chance, um, mm-hmm. I love every car in this movie. <laughs> I could easily drive anyone. <laughs> but this must be a very Australian thing to um, appreciate the good engines. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would think so. Well, it's it's while we were able to catch a Mad Max <laughs> driving so well. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, road games as well. Yes, yes. Speaking of, um, uh, there was a horror movie that Xavier Samuel was in before this, um, involving it. I really should have looked it up. But uh, it was another horror movie about um, a uh, possessed truck. Oh. There, there's, a, there's a handful of those. I know that that yeah. was... Um... Well, I only recently watched Maximum Overdrive. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I haven't... <laughs> I haven't... Uh, <laughs> Because I've heard it's so terrible. Yeah, it's a bit terrible. <laughs> and, um... I don't know, I guess... Stephen King wanted to step behind the lens and direct his own adaptation because he was taking a page Well, after his hissy Barker's fit with The Shining. <laughs> well, there's that, too. But, um... Mm. Clive Barker had done... Uh, Rawhead Rex, and um, I think he did something else before Hellraiser as well. Um, and I believe Maximum Overdrive was around the same time as Hellraiser, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think I would think so. I do remember when the Hellraiser tapes came out, and it was in the double, <laughs> the double cassettes because it came with one and two. Mm. Are you uh are you a fan of the Hellraiser franchise? Um the originals. Uh so I watched definitely one and two and I'm a fan of them, but then um after that uh I hardly remember the rest of them. Um they sort of lost interest in me. And the other way around. Mm. Are you? No, no, I, I never was. Um, I never, I didn't really like, 
Clive Barker's brand of horror because it uh, it was a little too out there for me. Uh, things like Nightbreed and such, and um, you know, getting back to Salo, there there is a fair bit of sadomasochism in in Clive Barker's films as well as yeah. his books and. Uh, I'm not offended by it. It's just, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, Yeah. It it, it almost becomes kink at some stage, which uh, I'm I'm happy to indulge in, but um, if if you're not into it, then you're not into it. This is true. (laughs) And, and um, yeah, there is a, um, there's a lot of homoerotic undertones in the original Hellraiser um, that go hand in hand with the sadomasochism, mm. and so I don't know. But there's, uh, I mean, there's there's sadomasochism, and but the, this this there's a little too much blood in those movies, I think. Yeah. Um, to be classified as a just a little. Uh, Good old fashioned S and M, but <laughs> yes, it, I, it, it crossed a line. <laughs> I would say yes. Yeah. I heard a funny story on a podcast. Um, I wish I could remember which which it was which one it was, but the director of Hellraiser three, I believe, was Anthony Hickox. And he ended up going on to do the sequel to Warlock, uh, Armageddon. Yeah. And uh, he cast the same girl. Um, I can't remember her name. Um, But I guess he liked working with her. From Hellraiser. She was in Hellraiser 3. Yep, yep. And then she went on to do the Warlock sequel. Um. She was also on an episode of Seinfeld. She, funnily enough, when we're talking about homoeroticism in horror, she was on the episode of Seinfeld um, when uh, the journalist wrote the article in the, in the college newspaper saying that Jerry was gay. Um, so there was that. But Not that there's anything this, wrong with that. Not that there's exactly yes, <laughs> um, but getting back to the story that I heard, um, one of the hosts of this podcast, I he um, he worked uh, for J.C. Penny taking orders over the phone, and she actually called, and I don't remember what her name again. I can't remember her name, but he said. Are you the same so and so who was in Warlock Armageddon? And her response was, "You saw that." And he's <laughs> like, "Yeah." And uh, he didn't want to fanboy out too much on her, so he didn't really, you know, ask her any questions. And she's, uh, I think he asked her a few, and then she was like, um, "Can I place an order now?" <laughs> and uh, she was ordering some stuff for her kids. But um, I think that's funny, though, how that can happen if you work for call centers, because sometimes you do get 
phone calls mm. from celebrities because I heard another story about somebody who was working in a call center for American Express and John Landis called and oh, yep. was not was not very friendly. <laughs> Maybe he was fangirling. <laughs> mm. So. Well, uh, I used to, not that they were so big that. celebrities, but I used to work at the airport and um, meet a few of the um, acts that would come and perform at the local stadiums. And generally people were nice, oh. but I was serving drinks, so. <laughs> uh-huh. Can, we, have to, we have to have some names. Uh, <laughs> um, the only ones I can remember, we had Fergie from... Uh, the Black Eyed Peas, and um, oh god, the, that's nothing to brag about. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was saying. They weren't like um, <laughs> AAs, um, and at the time they were popular. There was the band Jet, if and they had the the big hit "Are You Gonna Be My Girl," and they came through and got a few um, vodka lime and sodas. Mm. And that's that's about the extent of my. Star fucking. It's <laughs> not that interesting. Uh, speaking of um, famous uh, musicians, we were talking about the Casey Chambers song that's used in this film. And yes, I really never, I never heard anything from her beyond uh, Not Pretty Enough. But I do like the song. Well, I think even in Australian radio, um, she is known, but I think that was the only song of hers really to be on the pop stations. Not that it's a pop song, but um, she's mainly country. Country, yeah. And uh, she's still going to this day, I reckon. Yeah. And yeah, just doing the tours. We have, uh-huh. we have a big uh, country music festival that they um, do in Tamworth, I reckon. And mm-hmm. She's like the female Keith Urban. Oh, okay. Um. But you're right, though, because you were saying earlier the way um, the song does match um, the Lola Lola's character, and it's it's easy to see why she relates to it so much. Yes, yeah. Where she's and, uh, um, someone who can't understand why she's being rebuffed, not getting the boys the other girls get. Right. And she says at one point, doesn't she say at one point, when I get married, my husband is going to sing this to me or something like that? Yeah, they're going to dance something at that my effect. wedding to this song. They're gonna... Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's a very good first <laughs> dance song to be played at a wedding. Yes. Well... <laughs> It's making it all about her. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's uh, Did you ever watch the movie To Die For um, with Nicole Kidman? Yeah. 
Well, there's a scene um, in that at her husband's funeral where the song is all by myself. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you just made me think of that. <laughs> yeah. There's there's an um I can't remember what it was, but you just made me think of um especially when you said Nicole Kidman, um when Leah Remini wrote about it in her book uh, at Tom Cruise's wedding to Katie Holmes, because he wanted to make the wedding all about him. Um, he's uh, I think did karaoke and he sung the song that uh, the ballad that was from Top Gun. Oh, that's stupid. Top Gun. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I I know it's by Berlin, but I can never remember the name of it. Yeah, but it's it's not Take even my breath really away. a love. T- n- no. <laughs> No, it wasn't that one. It was it was a song about um, a relationship that was over. It was like a, a okay. song to be that. Um, it was like a, a "Where Are You." Yep, yep. Our okay. breakup song. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Leah was wrote in her book about how what an unusual choice it was for a groom to sing to his new bride. At their wedding. Yeah. Well, maybe it was him breaking up with, um, you know, now that he's got a new beard. Does he? (laughs) Well, he married Katie Holmes. Oh, oh. Okay. (laughs) I thought you were being... um, I was being my drag name facetious. what do you call it? Um, speaking um, sincerely. Oh, I, I hardly ever do that, so. Mm. Not that I'm, I'm, I'm a, a fair fan of Tom Cruise. He has produced some good work, so. I really don't care for him. Although I have never seen Top Gun. Neither have I, nor do I care to. And I don't anticipate it, nor would I watch the sequel. <laughs> I think there's just the one that just that just came out, you know, the, the sequel. No, they're, they're making a sequel to it that should be coming out, you know, within a year or so, or... Oh. It, it had some delays, I reckon, because of COVID and everything. Oh. Oh, I thought it had already come and gone. See, this goes to show how oh, much... Oh, I feel like it's I not, but I could movies. be wrong. That, that's how much it matters to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, just because uh, I'm watching the movie as we're talking, um, I was going to let you know that uh, Xavier was in a... Frankenstein remake. Did you ever get to see that? No. No, I haven't. No, I uh, me Is neither, it? but I thought um, it's got uh, the girl from Matrix in it. Carrie Ann Moss. Is it a straightforward and adaptation? Or the monster. Is it like a like a twist on it? 
Well, I hadn't I hadn't seen it myself, so but uh, the reviews of it looked good. But uh, yeah, it, it would be one that I would like to see because I don't mind um, the Frankenstein story. And the next one he'll be in is when it comes out is the Basil Luhrmann Elvis movie. Oh. And is he playing Elvis? No, no, I would not be able to tell you who is. And I've seen the pictures, and he look—you know—he might look remotely like him, but um, I can't tell you <laughs> who's playing him. I know Tom Hanks is playing. Mm. I think um, Elvis's manager or something like that. But hmm. Yeah. You... Go ahead. No, I um um just in reference to the movie um I was going to mention because uh, I only found out about it recently myself is um there was a case in Britain where uh, a man was charged with murdering his neighbor in the same way that Lola tortures Xavier so he cut stuff into his chest and poured salt into the wound and um he was quite a big fan of the movie <laughs> Oh, I didn't really think that sort of thing happened very often. Well, I definitely didn't think it happened anywhere near uh, as often as people wanted you to believe, especially during the 80s when these kinds of movies yes. were at their peak. Um, well, but yeah, the only horror movie that happen. I could think... Sorry. The only other horror movie I could think, and it's not even really a horror, but a, um, a dark black comedy, was a, a Clockwork Orange that had an influenced murder. But did it? Yeah, and that's uh, well, that was why Stanley Kubrick pulled it from um, being shown, uh, from what I read. But in reality, the only films that I see that get um, replicated in real life are the um, car chase movies and uh, you don't see any up in arms about, you know, um, all the uh, high-speed deaths that happen after, um, you know, Gone in 60 Seconds come out, you know. It's all just the horror movies that influence horror (laughs) fanatics. I didn't, I never put those together, but I suppose that makes sense. No, a lot of times, yeah. Um, I remember, yeah, back when, um, I think it was Fast and Furious 1 and um, Gone in 60 Seconds had come out, there was a lot more um, high-speed car accidents that had happened on the roads. Yeah. I... Kind of the sound that um, Xavier's character is making is definitely bringing back some memories of um, Motel Hell. Yes, I would think. Um, but getting back to Wolf Creek um, and Greg McLean. Did you, have you seen um, a movie he directed called The Belco Experiment? Yes, I have. 
Which uh, um, I think some people found... say is a remake of a Japanese movie, but I forget what it's called. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, it's it's got some heavy inspiration from something similar, but oh, not that he wrote I, I it, but anyway. <laughs> I I found it very hard to get through. Yeah, why was that? I thought it was very, very dark. Uh, a lot a lot darker than Wolf Creek, which in itself was was very dark, but yeah, the Belco yeah. experiment was rough. I think um I, I took it as a um uh not slapstick, but I a lot of films Did <laughs> I you? would take on I would take on their comedic element, even though it's not a comedy movie. To me, I just sort of uh, think we get spoken to at work in HR references. Oh, yeah. Just, I think um, corporate comedy can become quite dark easy. I suppose. There was a British horror, I think it was called Severance, and that was about um, some. corporate retreat where people started started getting killed off one by one and it had it start you know it had a comedy element and then it starts um with the with the dark killings which is not very much fun but it's the point of the horror i think i've heard of it i haven't seen it i enjoy um british um, suspense uh, literature more than I enjoy oh, yeah. uh, the the movies because um, there's a lot of really really good English um, suspense authors. Yeah. But you'll you'll need to um send me a few links to some good authors. I'd like to get back into reading now that I, now that I've got my chance. Yeah. Oh, that, actually, I was going to send you a link. Um, if yeah. if, if you're I, into I'm true strictly crime audio book now. There was the um. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, it's the audio book to um. It's a book from Adelaide called Young Blood, which you may enjoy. Um, is that an Anne Rule? Uh, no, it's uh, O'Brien is the last is the author's name. I think I've heard of it. But um, yeah, I've I've noticed that because I, um, I I'm I'm forced to be strictly audiobook these days. Books don't stick with me as much as they did uh, when I was growing up, because I was always a big reader. And I still remember the plots and 
such from a number of books that I that I read when I was younger, but I was actually going through my Audible library earlier today and I was going through some of the titles that I'd finished and I didn't even remember them at all. I couldn't even tell you what they were about. Yeah. Well, I think um, when you're reading a book, you're reading it in your own literary voice, and then that can help you um, imagine it in your own head. Whereas if you're doing it with mm-hmm. the audio book, that might be why um, you so were able to get into the books that you read younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of makes me sad. Uh. This is quite violent. <laughs> well, I think it's... Some people might disagree. I think that there is a sparingness to the violence, but when it happens, it happens quite harsh. Yeah, that's true. I think what can make it seem worse is um, after the violence happens, you still see the effects of the violence, like, when you see shots of Xavier sitting in the chair, you see all the blood that's pulled around him, you know, even when he's not being touched. Have you heard him speak at all about what it was like uh, to make this movie? Um, in the um, DVD and the extras, they do have a, um, you know, a uh, Q&A at a table, and I'm sure he enjoyed the experience really yeah everyone and um my only disappointment is that i wish that the the actress playing lolo had done better than what she's um she hasn't been picked up as much as what he has uh i think the last major film she was in was um abraham lincoln vampire hunter which i i I never saw (laughs) No, I no. Mm-mm. I'm not really a fan of that type of uh, comedy horror. I like no. I like the uh, Peter, the old Peter Jackson style comedy horror, but yeah. But I don't think Peter Jackson is going to return to his roots anytime soon. I I hold a, I hold out a hope in the same way I feel that Sam Raimi went back with Drag Me to Hell. I wish he would again. But, yeah, it becomes hard once once you know how to make a film using modern technology, it can almost be hard to make a film using vintage technology. Like, it's a something you need to pull yourself out of. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like those kinds of movies, the um, Lord of the Rings, um, uh, fantasy, wizard, wizardry type movies. I never got into the genre. Yeah. And with movies like, you know, Bad Taste and and Braindead, one wouldn't think that he would be into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess there's, the different sides of the dice. Did you did you get um 
brain dead uncut down there? I would say so, but then I, I thought that I had the loved ones uncut. But um, we had the, the NC-17 version. And it, it, I remember, I don't know what it was like in America, but in Australia it had a um, like a paper mache cover where it was like a 3D textured image of uh, someone opening her mouth and a zombie coming out. Wow. No, I don't think we had anything like that. And was this the VHS or the DVD or? No, it was the VHS. I reckon I, I did get it on DVD, but I've told you my um, my ex stole a lot of my stuff. But <laughs> um, the the DVD was just a plain, um, like a clear wrapper, usual thing. Ah, oh. no, they we. I don't think we got anything. It's on. Like it's that. on um, YouTube as well. So if anyone's we... interested in that. Um, you mean, um, the movie or the, or like a, uh, an unboxing? No, the, the movie, I, yeah. I recently rewatched um, it. Yeah, it was on just the video, um, of Brain Dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen well, it. Oh, it's a fun times. little romp. <laughs> it is. It is fun. Uh, and um, the the actress who played Lionel's mother in that ended up being a teacher in Heavenly Creatures. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, Heavenly Creatures I see as an expansion on that old horror where he was trying to make an adult horror. Whereas, yeah, like you say, um, The Lord uh-huh. of the Rings is sort of almost like, oh, wow, you're really into that as well. <laughs> right. Yeah, the he- Heavenly Creatures was um, an experiment in uh, a true crime as well. Yeah. And I don't know if I, uh, if you would know, but um, I feel that the brunette actress in it, so it's, yeah, it's got Kate Winslet, and also um, I think the brunette is from um, Two and a Half Men. Yeah, Melanie Linsky. So I'll probably look this up later. Yeah, yes, yeah. Oh, thank you for knowing. Yeah. <laughs> I would regret looking it up later and yeah, going, that's I, way I, off. <laughs> I like her a lot. She's, I've seen her in a lot of stuff. Yeah, she was in a movie that I really liked called uh, Shattered Shattered Glass, and it was one of the only movies that I've liked with Hayden Christensen, uh, the guy from um, God, what's it called Star Wars? Hayden Panettiere. No, no, the guy that played Anakin. I, oh. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit I've never really gotten into the Star Wars movies, but I the ones I've you seen I've enjoyed. <laughs> I saw the first Star Wars and that was it. That was I'm I'm done. I'm done. And I don't feel like I'm missing anything. <laughs> Your life's still going without it. <laughs> yes. 
But Melanie Linsky, she does, she plays more American characters, I think. She 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 works pretty. Steadily. I think so, yeah. Because, um... which I'm glad. Like I was quite happy when I found that out that she was continuing working and doing well. Like I, I was thought she mm-hmm. could have easily become one of those actresses that um, has a good local movie and then never manages to branch out. I know, like in Australia, the film industry can be a bit hard to grow in so a lot of them head off to America um, to make their names in in Australia Mm. a lot of the like recently one of the actresses was saying that a lot of Australians look at it as a hobby and and also there's a bit of a um, you shouldn't get ahead of yourself type of mentality that the audience can sort of place upon actors and so that's why a lot of them tend to leave to find bigger roles overseas yeah I think one of the first things I saw her in was Detroit Rock City oh yeah with Edward Furlong Mm -hmm. yeah she didn't have a big part um, but she's she was very pretty in it and she was very homely in um in uh, heavenly creatures you wouldn't know that she's as pretty as pretty as she is um yeah uh that's i think that's why i was surprised to see that it was her because i was like oh that's her <laughs> mhm i don't know if it was the hair or or um that made it look like she was heavier than she was because she did look kind of doughy. Well, it could be... Um, I haven't seen Heavenly Creatures for such a long time, but it could be her wardrobe was... um, I feel that they dressed her in clothes that were a bit stumpier, like where it didn't give her good proportions, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, and I think that um, Kate Winslet's character was supposed to be... Uh, so prim and proper and you know they were they were polar opposites of each other yeah so they probably dressed um melanie's character down to um to uh further showcase that um this is quite violent um here when you start to break out the power tools, you know, and it, I don't think you find, you find some of this stuff comical. Well, not so much when he gets drilled in the head, but even though I'm laughing as I'm saying it, it's, yeah. I get, maybe it's because I went to school with him. <laughs> maybe. Well, that would be... How much fun would that be, though, if he was just an awful, awful person to you and he bullied you in school? And then you got to see this movie and see him being tortured and getting drilled in the head and nailed to a chair. Well, and... they, incidentally, now that you mentioned that, I... 
whenever I had bullies in school, I would sort of just write them into stories, but make them do uh, embarrassing things as opposed to butcher them. <laughs> mm. I, ha- I had that level of grace. <laughs> yes. I... I, uh, I never did that. Um with um with bullies when i when i was writing stories in school because uh, i just i didn't i don't know i just had it in like in, in the back of my head that perhaps there was a chance that one of them would stumble upon it and read it which <laughs> is oh, highly unlikely but no, but at the same time, I didn't want them to think that, or I didn't want to consider them to be important enough to center yeah. a whole story around or, you know, create a character after them or generate a character yeah. because of them. I actually did, yeah. though, um, in a in a story that's in one of my collections um named a bully character after a kid who uh was not very nice to me in um fifth grade and i used his real name and everything (laughs) oh well I don't think any he's gonna find out about it. I don't even know what the hell happened to him. Yeah. Not that I've ever looked. No, I mean generally for me, um, in regards to bullies and stuff, I wish them a good life. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's done and dusted with Mm-hmm. Oh. This is creepy, Tony. <laughs> Are you in the uh the uh dungeon? Yeah. Yeah, and that, that rasping yeah. And I see what you mean by the um, by the people under the stairs element, but yeah, I I think um, the first time I watched it, I think that was still sort of in my mind, and I was hoping that the um, the kids downstairs would sort of help him out because that's sort of what happened with them full in the Wes Craven movie, but no, (laughs) yeah, but I was I was thinking more along the lines of the ones that they disposed of the bodies they disposed of not um the actual ones who were still alive um yeah and going through the walls um because there there's one scene where they're dumping one into a a pit of, of bodies and that's just that's just what it reminded me of yep in the people under the stairs mm-hmm 
that yeah, has yeah. become a huge cult But I thought that was him. Fool's uncle. Yeah, well, I, I think that one was a bit ahead of its time, and especially with the recent, um, like, Get Out and Us um, social commentary horrors. Um, I'm glad it's mm. found some footing. I think that was uh, Fool's Uncle. Um, that was uh, Ving Rhames. Yes. Pretty sure. Apparently that's going to be uh, remade. It, is it? Well, uh, I, I, I'm on uh, many Facebook horror fan sites and, uh, you know, a common question is what movie would you like to see remade? And I wrote down that one and someone responded with um, a link saying that it's looking to get remade, I think, by Jordan Peele Company, by the um, production company. Oh, It really makes me feel old that movies released in my lifetime are being remade. (laughs) Yes. And I feel that that movie was was sort of as I was at an an older stage in life as well. Like that was came out in 93, I think, or it was in the 90s. Uh, I I think it was 92... 91, 92, something like that. Yeah. It wasn't... It wasn't too long after um, Kelly Jo Minter was in Popcorn. Oh, okay. Popcorn is a movie that... um, uh, I Tony saw based on my recommendations. Yes, and he enjoyed it. Isn't that right, Tony? I did, and um, no, it was it was a good. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of it as actually, actually as I was, was watching um, Be Kind Rewind because uh, in regards to those um, movies that they screen in the theater, there's a uh, that mm-hmm. amateurish and that's quite endearing. Yeah, those those movies were supposed to uh, parody the William Castle movies of the fifties and sixties that had yes. gimmicks. Because um, William Castle was the king of the gimmick, and um, they're making fun of that. But Kelly Joe, um, I was I was actually saying this when. I was talking to myself because um, I recently did a commentary for A Nightmare on Elm Street 5. And so Kelly Joe did that and then she did Popcorn and then The People Under the Stairs. So she did, she did horror movies pretty close together. And I think if she would have stuck yeah. with them, she probably could have ended up being the first black screen queen. Yep, yep, yeah. I wish she she had, because I I really enjoyed her and everything that I've seen her, and especially Popcorn. I think she's really, really funny in Popcorn. Yeah. Instead, we get Kelly Rowland in um, Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, God. Did you have to? (laughs) 
<laughs> I could have not. <laughs> Although I, I thought I thought the mother and father, well, the brother and sister of people under the stairs were very, very good. Although I was well, a bit they... disappointed. They were both Twin Peak alumni. They were, uh, they definitely played it um, over the top, um, which I think was what uh, yes. the characters were supposed to be, especially the, yes. the male half. He was uh, quite deranged. It's been actually been ages since I've seen that movie. Well, I f- felt if they ever remade it, I felt that Jim Carrey would have been a... Um a good use to play that actor, just for how over-the-top and uh, rubber-faced the character was. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. Even though a lot of people don't like comedic. him as an actor. Mm. Well, people don't like him as of late because he's got his head so far up his own ass. Yeah, that's become a bit of a thing. Although his uh, his artwork has been fun. <laughs> oh, God. He's been doing a bit of political artwork, but anyway. Back to the loved ones. There are, are just certain things that I was better off not knowing. Now, unfortunately, uh, we've been watching different versions, but sort of syncing it up. So I'm pausing mine at the moment. Because I know that you've got an extra two minutes or something. Uh, Yes, unfortunately, um, we didn't have the same version to... um, to watch together. Um, I don't even know where you could have streamed it. Because I, out of, out of many horror movies, <laughs> this one has one of my favorite endings. So. <laughs> mm. I I really I really think that I'm so unfucking believably done with Zencaster, though, because I stopped using it to record and to mix because the quality was so shitty, and I was just using it as a means to connect with somebody else, but. That hasn't been so great. Um, this connection has been terrible. And <laughs> it's it's very Beirut in the 1990s, but that's all right. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. <laughs> the last the last movie that I did with James, um, it was really bad, and I actually intended on. Uh, the next time doing this uh, using Skype, 
Um, but I think that's definitely what I'm going to have to do the next time because I, I can't I can't deal with this bullshit. Oh. oh. What were you owing? This movie, it's traumatizing me. <laughs> now, something that apparently I need to correct for the American audiences is that uh, Australians okay. generally, we do not go to prom, but, but a lot of the uh, descriptions say it's for prom. It does. And I did notice, I did notice that in in the description it does say prom but she says will you go with me to the dance yeah generally it was uh, called the social or the um oh no the formal as well because you dress in formal attire mm. so since your summer is during our winter is your school year different? Well, um, our term one school year starts uh, at the end of January and finishes early December. So our um, so you go to school. Our big break pretty much is the from whole December year? to January. Yeah, so uh, forty-one weeks out of the fifty-two. Yeah. Okay, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> What's it like in America? You go um, in, depending on, usually the Catholic schools, or at least when I was in school, Catholic schools would go back in late August, and public schools would go back in September. First week of September, first second week of September, first day, usually the first day after Labor Day, um, okay. and then we would we would go until mm, second or third week of June. Yeah. Okay, so you get quite a, a lengthy break. Although how you've described it is the opposite here is that the public schools tend to go back first, and then the private schools, the Catholic schools, and the um, the private schools, they go back uh, maybe a few days later and finish a few days earlier. Yeah, the Catholic schools always finish because they went, they went back earlier. They would always finish a bit earlier. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't much. It was like only a few days. But when you're a kid, you know, that's an eternity because... <laughs> you know, I remember feeling superior to my friends at the time who had gone to Catholic school and they were going back in like August 30th or whatever. And I still had another week or week and a half of summer vacation. And uh, then when June rolled around, they were getting out after at the first week. And I still had another week or two at most i remember we had one year because we had such a severe uh, 
we had such severe weather during the winter and we had so many snow days that we had to go to school until June 31st. And that is the longest school year I've ever had in my life. And yeah. it was not it was not pleasant for me. I was not too happy. Uh, we will never experience snow days. <laughs> well, in Adelaide. <laughs> the, the worst we get is... Uh, we used to get days off when it was over 100 degrees, but... um. Now everyone's got air conditioning, so can't even rely on that. Um, I think it all depends on what region you're you're from in in, this, in the United States, um, because in s certain areas the weather is is so severe. Um, pretty regular pretty regularly and they're so accustomed to it but um uh, here we get snow but depending on the storm you know they'll have to call uh, a state of emergency so that they get the roads plowed and everything yeah. and um yeah generally we won't we wouldn't have school and it was funny because i was talking to james about this when we did the child's play commentary because child's play is set in chicago and they're known for having pretty brutal winters and there's yes. a scene early in in the film when uh, karen drops andy off at school and she goes to walk off and she's walking on about three inches of snow and i always remember thinking to myself when i watched that movie if there was that much snow on the ground we would not have school that day <laughs> and from from what i understand it's a lot more slippery than what you'd think it is um in Chicago? Oh no, snow in general. Because <laughs> uh, we, we don't get snow, so I, I have I've never experienced snow. To be able to say, never ever. No, no. But one day, we do have we do have snowfields in uh, Victoria, but at South Australia is it's a very it's a desert state. Mm. Oh, I got so distracted talking about snow days that <laughs> I neglected to realize that the movie is over. We are rolling credits on the loved ones. <laughs> and I didn't get to tell my joke about how uh, she ended up looking like the, um, um, the first victim recording. from It Follows at the end. But <laughs> Oh, that's all right. I think I'm the only one that would find that funny, so... Mm. Anyway, <laughs> do you have any? Yeah, we can. I generally, I generally like to talk until the end of the credits. So we, still, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we good. still have some time. If you'd like to, um, if you'd like to bestow upon us some more of your Australian humor, 
a bit of Australianisms. <laughs> well, we did talk about how much we mm-hmm. like swearing in Australia, but I'm not going <laughs> to... And I did manage to uh, control myself. I think I did do the one swear word while I was chatting with you. Um, uh, no, but I... Uh, I... <laughs> I told you you could drop as many cunt bombs as you want. I don't give a fuck. Uh, Well, I'm in an enclosed room, so I might end up smelling like fish if I were to do that. Uh, Though I I do look forward to the new um, Baz Luhrmann movie with Xavier, and it was good to be able to chat this one with you. I'm glad that you liked it. I thank you for inviting me to talk along with it. I um I like it um how do I say this I like it um as much as I'm able to um yeah because there's a lot of it that I I miss because I don't I I can't tell what's happening and I don't have an audio described version of it and yeah. I have to fill in the blanks with these with these movies with um the plot summaries on Wikipedia. Um Well and really the main the lead actor stops talking after like thirty minutes. Yeah. So there's not much you can with go by reason. way of um dialogue, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um yeah, I, uh, I certainly, uh, especially if it's a, if it's a movie that doesn't have audio description, uh, I seek out movies that are uh, that are dialogue driven, and that's not always hard to hard to. I mean, that's not always easy to come by, especially in the genre. Yes, because a lot of the genre is so is based so heavily on violence, screaming. So. And screaming, and that, yes, yes, and I get, I get to miss a lot of the delicious gore and chases and nudity. <laughs> Though I'll, I will have to listen to um, your RuPaul movie uh, and give that a watch. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely. Well, are you? We say I don't know. Well, I don't, but it's it's become a thing, um, because there's been so many movies recently with full frontal uh, male nudity now. So yeah, whenever I hear a movie uh, containing male nudity. Uh, whoever speaking about it says, "Oh well, so and so hangs dong in it." Um, I don't say that because I just think it's stupid. But in Star Booty, they really they really don't hang dong because the dicks are full, <laughs> fully engorged. Yeah, and the first one you get to see is uh, Michael Lucas, who is a is very well endowed, oh. and uh, porn star. Um, and uh, 
he has a production company. I talk about him a bit during um, Star Booty, but yeah, he uh, he has a, a gay porn production company called Lucas Entertainment, which he still does movies. Um, and I think he's approaching 50. I don't know if this is true or not because I haven't seen him in in a while but I heard supposedly he doesn't look like himself anymore because he's had some um, extensive cosmetic surgery yeah yeah but who was really looking at his face uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you're right <laughs> oh goodness um so do you have any uh final thoughts on the movie or on xavier or no uh anything you'd like to add? if if you get if you enjoy the movie um get the chance to watch the devil's candy it's uh different from this one but um if you enjoy death it's very Metal, different uh, yes and some of the reviews I read from users on that is that people are trying to say it's anti-death metal, but it I think it is not, that the maker is quite a fan of it and um, there is a distinct difference between the music that is played for the villain and for the uh, hero. So. Mm. Anyway, I don't know. I don't just... really have an opinion on that. So is there any um, final thoughts medals. you have on uh, the loved ones? Um, I think it, uh, even though I wasn't able to uh, see as much of it as I would have liked from what I was hearing, it uh, is, is, is quite unsettling. And uh, Yes. It's, it's a pretty dark one. And... At the same time, I th- I I respect it for its uniqueness in some of the um, the the differences in in uh, horror movie tropes uh, that we were discussing yes. earlier. It, it purposely veered away from them, and you know, and I think uh, the Devil's Candy is also was also pretty unique on its own. So. I'll definitely be interested to see. It's good what to see he Sean has his Byrne own individual has. voice. He definitely does, and yes. you really won't wouldn't be able to to connect that he had done this one if you watch The Devil's Candy mm. because they're they're vastly different. Yes, um, and not just in the. The production, because um, you know clearly this was an Australian production, and the Devil's Candy that was an American production, right? Because it had all American actors in it. Yes, um, yes. I don't think it was shot in your neck of the woods, but um, yeah, it, uh, it it's 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 vastly different uh, story wise, so. And it's good. It's good that uh, that he's he's developing his own unique voice in the genre. And I think mm. we need more originality. 
Yes, um, yes, absolutely. So much of and what not just is out copying of what just... has been. That's yes, that's what I was about to say. So much of what is out there these days is just copy and paste. And um, yeah, we need more voices like that. So good, good for him. Yeah. Okay, so I guess we should wrap this up. I want Sounds to good. thank you. I want to thank you very much for joining me and offering your insight. And thank on you very the, much for having me on the film. And yeah, it was a pleasure. And uh, we will uh, have to figure out how to do this again uh, sometime. Uh, hopefully, without uh, glitches. <laughs> um, it just added to the uh, to the experience. There you go. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here, and I want to say thank you t- again to you for uh, joining me, and thank you to all of uh, the listeners. And until next time, this is Brandon Ford wishing you all unpleasant dreams.